0: Twenty seventh parallel, on America's haunted highway, it's pixelated, paranormal. Your guide to the unusual and the strange.
1: What's up, everybody? Happy spring and merry daylight savings day. And if you suffer from insomnia, like me. May the Greek god of sleep, Hypnos, have mercy on our souls. It is springtime. We are lighting things back up. And this is episode 232 of Pixelated Paranormal. I am Sean, one half of your hosting team, and the other half is always with me, Preston.
0: Yeah, what's up, uh, everybody? I, I'm going to reiterate what Sean said, and fuck daylight savings time, because half the fucking country doesn't do it, so uh, like everybody in the Midwest, like, we get fucking screwed having an extra hour of sleep and like I got insomnia just like Sean does. And so like, you know, this whole entire last couple of days have just fucking drained me. Like, Jesus Christ. I I just want uh, I just want beautiful, beautiful sleep. <laughs> so that might answer my next
1: question. How the heck are you, buddy?
0: Uh yeah, I'm just drained and tired, you know, and then you know my asshole cousin called the other day. And uh, he just remembered it was daylight savings. He's like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. well, we're fucking two hours behind you now. Like, yeah, way to rub it in. I lost an hour Yeah, he lives in the one
1: state that doesn't partake, right, Arizona?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Ah, Jesus, man. What a guy. What a pal. Yeah. Jackass. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of being drained and assholes, I am just now recovering over a crippling bout of food poisoning... Shayla and I shared a ham and cheese sandwich from a national food chain who I will not blast on the podcast, but, uh, yeah, about 12 hours later, we both started heaving, and, um, yeah, anyway, it's been about 48 hours since I've last vomited, and I can now trust my own farts again, so, oh boy. Well, anyway, after painting that beautiful picture for everybody, like a Jackson Pollock, um, we're going to lighten the mood here and swing things over like we promised last time. We're going to put the old pin in talking about death and switch things over to the good old stuff you knew and loved about Pixelated Paranormal. That's weird stories, UFO abductions, and other strange things. Now, before we get to the four-minute marker, we're going to say this. Steven is AWOL on this episode, so I do have a really cool abduction story involving aliens uh, to tell you guys, hopefully on the next episode. But because Steven had to bounce on this episode, and we realize today is 3.14, meaning this episode will come out the day before St. Patty's Day... That's right, everybody, we're jumping back into some good old-fashioned St. Paddy's Day special territory. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So, let's just jump into it, shall we? First, a history lesson. So I actually kind of got on the move for this because Shayla had never seen the original Leprechaun film with um, Jennifer Aniston. Yes, Jennifer Aniston (laughs) (laughs) and Warwick Davis, man. Um, So while we were in between, you know, praying to the porcelain gods, we watched the first uh, Leprechaun film, number one. I forgot how fun that movie is and how incredibly underrated the original might be. It bombed at the actual box offices, but dude, I fucking loved it. It's got the guy that played Francis in it from the Pee Wee Herman movies. It's got the guy who played the brother in the Poltergeist movies. And it's got Jennifer Aniston. And it's just a really fucking fun, gory excellent b-rated horror films so if you guys haven't yet and you have peacock uh this is a free ad peacock so if you want to start paying us just holler at your boys um peacock has all of the leprechaun films on demand right now
0: in order if you have a voodoo account go to the voodoo because usually this time of year they put them on sale for two ninety nine or three ninety nine, and that's Ooh, a shit. fuck that's a fucking steal right there
1: it, it really is <laughs> like i
0: I I am glad that I'm one of those parents that subjects my children because they love modern-day horror movies so much that I'm like, yeah. fuck you, kids. You're watching all the shit that I had to watch when I was a kid. Like, this this is real horror right yeah. here. Um, yeah, exactly. So now that we all have a love of, like, Evil Dead and all the really campy
1: B-movies, I'm just like, the, the circle is complete. <laughs> Right. Sometimes you want to take your elevated horror, your Babadook and your uh, hereditary and put that on the shelf and then dust off Uncle Preston's old dusty copies of Leprechaun. (laughs) Because who doesn't want to see boobies and also the Leprechaun kill people with lawnmowers? Yeah, I know I do. (laughs) perfect segue let's get into it guys now if you do like the leprechaun movies with warwick davis or other leprechauns from modern day folklore i'm gonna burst your bubble here because the leprechaun originally had a different appearance than the one that we all know and love back in ireland prior to the 20th century it was generally held that leprechauns wore red and not green Samuel Lover wrote this back in 1831, where he described leprechauns as quite the beau in their dress, notwithstanding, for they wear a red square-cut coat, richly laced with gold, and inexpressible of the same, a cocked hat, shoes, and buckles. According to the original folklore, the solitary fairies, like leprechauns, wore red jackets instead of green, whereas trooping fairies like elves would traditionally wear coats clad with green. but The leprechaun's jacket instead would have seven rows of buttons with seven buttons in each row. That's 49 buttons for any of you guys and gals and ghouls who are good at math. On the western coast, he writes, the red jacket is covered by a freeze-on and an Ulster, the creature, wears a cocked hat, and when he's up to anything unusually mischievous, he leaps onto a wall and spins, balancing himself perfectly perfectly on the point of the crooked hat with heels clicking in the air. Now, further according to folklore, traditional leprechauns are about three feet tall and dressed in little red jackets or roundabouts with red breeches buckled at the knee gray or black stockings, and a hat cocked in the style of a century ago over a little old withered face. Round his neck is an Elizabethan ruff with frills of lace upon his wrist. On the wild west coast, where the Atlantic winds bring almost constant rains, he dispenses with ruff and frills and wears a frieze overcoat over his pretty red suit, so that unless on the lookout for a cocked hat, ye might pass by a leprechaun on the road, and never know, he himself is that at all. This dress could very well change by region, however. In the northern areas, leprechauns, or men wore red military-style coats with white breeches, with broad-rimmed high-pointed hats similar to that of a gnome, on which they could sometimes stand upside down. Now, the Lurigadarni of Tipperary wore antique-slash-jackets of red with peaks all around and a jockey-style hat, also sporting a sword to which they could use as a magic wand. The Liracani of Kerry were fat, pursy little fellows with jolly round faces rivaling in redness with the cutaway jacket they wore that always had seven rows of seven buttons. And the clericani of Monaghan wore a swallow-tailed evening coat of red with a green vest, white breeches, and black stockings, also clad with shiny shoes, and a long cone hat with a brim, sometimes used as a weapon— that's awesome. They're like tiny little wizards.
0: They're like that little Japanese guy off of James Bond that throws his hat and uh,
1: kills people. Odd job? Yeah. Yeah, they're like Odd job. Okay, with a pointy hat. I'll give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> roughly about the same size. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Odd job okay. might
0: have an inch on them, but, you know, tomato, tomato.
1: <laughs> An inch? (laughs) Uh, The modern image of the leprechaun sitting on a toadstool, having a red beard and a green hat, etc., is clearly a more modern invention or borrowed from other strands of European folklore. The most likely explanation of the modern-day leprechaun appearance is that green is a traditional Irish color dating back as far as 1642 and the hat itself may be derived of a style outdating fashion which was still common in Ireland before the 19th century the style of fashion commonly worn by Irish immigrants in the United States since some elizabethan era clothes are still common in Ireland in the 19th century may actually be the inspiration for the depiction of modern day leprechaun garb so let me take a deep breath and summarize all that to say that leprechauns, folks, have been bastardized like anything else, including our dear, beloved Santa Claus. But that's all right. And since, dear listeners, we are taking you to school real quick, Preston, Professor, what do you have? So I got
0: uh, I got two things, because you can't have St. Patty's Day without the man, myth, and legend himself, St. Patrick, and uh, mm-hmm. Shamrocks. Now shamrocks had become a symbol of Ireland. And, uh, you know, the old Lucky Charms uh, leprechaun, you know, that's uh, part of his marshmallows and I think he even has the little shamrock uh, clover hanging off his hat. And uh, throughout the years most inhabitants of the land had thought shamrocks hold a greater meaning or purpose. For example, the Druids believed that shamrocks were sacred sacred, and kept kept away evil. Celtic people believed the number three to be sacred, and therefore valued shamrocks because of their heart-shaped leaves. Now, Irish people uh, are, you know, are kind of stubborn, and uh, sometimes it takes us a time or two to, for things to sink in. And old Saint Patrick himself uh, was trying to, you know, bring Christianity to the island and spread the good word of the Lord, and was trying to explain the Holy Trinity. And uh, we as Irish people weren't buying that bullshit. And we're like, we don't get it. (laughs) And uh, he was getting frustrated. And, you know, he was uh, walking around a patch of shamrocks and uh, saw the little three leaves. And Eureka, Uh, he got this idea. So he plucked one up out of the ground and then started to explain the, the idea of the Holy Trinity And using the shamrock as an example, and suddenly the light bulb went off and all of our Irish brains were like, holy shit, we get it now. And uh, so then they they took on a whole new meaning to the Irish people.
1: and They were no longer just weeds growing in grass, huh? Yeah,
0: they're no longer weeds growing in grass. And uh, old uh, St. Patrick himself, uh, well, he might just be a bunch of bullshit because... uh, You know, it is said that one of his greatest feats that he did was he rid the whole entire island of Ireland of snakes. And, uh, you know, he cast Mm -hmm. out his his stick and be gone, foul creatures. And the snakes were like, oh, shit, this guy means business. And they skedaddled out. But I don't know if anybody knows about the climate and the temperature of Ireland. But in the last five centuries, hell, even in the last 10 centuries, Ireland has not been a cli- like a uh, place that, uh, historically, the climate is inducive to, to snakes and reptiles. It's fucking cold, dreary, and depressive. Therefore, uh, him hitting his staff against the ground saying, get the fuck out of here, snakes, is uh, all a bunch of BS.
1: Uh-oh. Yeah. Womp womp. That's too bad um also the four-leaf clover I was reading earlier today because I was really kind of confused I was like what the hell you know why don't we have three-leaf clovers what's so special about a four-leaf clover well the luck of a four-leaf clover really is just the fact that they are much more rare than a common three-leaf so if you picked a four-leaf clover by god you would just say huh I guess I've got some good luck because technically it's said that one out of every five thousand clovers is said to be a four-leaf clover and then you know, you find that one and you think
0: how lucky you are, and then a fucking leprechaun comes up and shakes you in the back and then <laughs> takes it, puts it in uh, a yoink. Yeah. And you're sitting on the uh, ground like
1: <laughs> bleeding out and I've actually got a four leaf clover that Shayla and I found um wrapped up in some wax paper on my desk here. I need to have oh. you possibly cast that in some resin or something, huh?
0: I can do it, yeah.
1: You should do it. Well, it's funny, you brought up old Lucky from Lucky Charms, and so before we get into the actual fun stories here of Leprechaun Sightings, I thought, what the hell, we're already in class, why not give the listeners what they really came for, a quick history lesson on Lucky Charms, okay, and everybody yeah, just groans and
0: my throws favorite, their hands my up. My favorite cereal, my favorite ice cream, and my favorite beer.
1: Wow, I didn't know you were such a fan.
0: Yeah. And my favorite vape, dude. If you can if I can find like the lucky charm flavored vape, dude, all in.
1: It'd be the it'd be
0: the holy uh quadfecta, yeah. huh? Yeah. It's like oh, a four man. it's like a well, lucky yeah. four leaf clover. I have all four. I got my I got my Lucky Charms sour ale, I got my Lucky Charms uh-huh. vape, I got my Lucky Charms uh-huh. ice cream, and then I got my uh-huh. uh I got my bowl of Lucky Charms cereal, dude.
1: And if you put all those together, you know what you get? Uh diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wilfred Brimley rolling over in his grave, trying to find a spare uh, <laughs> insulin pin. Well, did you know, Preston, that Lucky Charms was originally created in 1964 as a byproduct of General Mills cereal Cheerios and Wheaties? Oh, I did not. Well, all be damned. The actual original inspiration of the Lucky Charm was a mixture of Cheerios with chopped up bits of Brack's Circus Peanuts, the candy that apparently everybody on Earth hates except for me. An advertising company employed General Mills and Company and suggested marketing the new cereal around the idea of charm bracelets. Thus, the charms of Lucky Charms were born. And that's how we get the hearts and stars and horseshoes, clovers and blue moons. But the marshmallows themselves, dear listeners, are not known as marshmallows at all, but technically they're called marbits. Marshmallow bits shortened down into marbits. Due to their small size, marbits were invented by Edward S. Only in Howard S. Thurman. How the hell did it take two people to come up with marshmallows? Well, that's another podcast for another time. The mascot of Lucky Charms was created in 1963 by the name of Lucky the Leprechaun, also known as... Preston, extra bonus question? Fuck, I don't fucking know. I know. Sir Charms, or L.C. Leprechaun. Oh. Now, originally the oat cereal was not sugar-coated, it was just straight-up Cheerios... But unfortunately, the disgusting taste of Cheerios wasn't enough to be offset by the delicious taste of Marbits, and children revolted just like every child would do. So they decided to sugarcoat the actual Cheerios and make them just a little more appetizing. Now, originally, when these things were sugar coated and packed with marbits, they also had little plastic piggy banks and toy watches introduced in the cereals as sendaway prizes, further coaxing children to beg their parents to buy the sugary cereal. And once in 1975, Lucky the Leprechaun was replaced for a short duration of time by another fellow named Waldo the Wizard. Unfortunately, he was really lame and kids didn't like him. And another fun fact, the marshmallows, the delicious marbits. Did you know, Preston, the biggest fan of them all, each individual shape stands for one of Lucky's secret leprechaun powers. The heart charm allows Lucky to give life to inanimate objects. The star charm gives Lucky the power of flight. The Horseshoe Charm gives him the power of speed like a horse. The Clover Charm, of course, you guessed it, gives him the power of luck. Blue Moon giving him the power of invisibility. The Rainbow Charm is the power to teleport. The Red Balloon allows him the power to float objects. And the Unicorn allows him to bring color to the world.
0: I feel like uh, maybe fucking Care Bears uh, didn't have an original thought, and they just jacked <laughs> all that from uh, Lucky Charms. Like,
1: I mean, they may very well have, yeah.
0: Yeah, you look at the Care Bear like superpowers and like you know, oh, the rainbow's bringing love to the world. Oh, the blue moon Care Bear. Like, come on, guys. Like, you couldn't like fucking come up with your own original <laughs> idea. You had to rip off of a fucking cereal company. Get the fuck out of here.
1: Oh, Jesus. Well, in addition to the hearts, stars, clovers, horseshoes, and blue, blue moons, pots of golden rainbows, and a red balloon, <clears throat> and a unicorn, in 1986, there was also a temporarily shaped whale marshmallow, which was quickly dejected in 1990 as an act of um, preserving Earth Day. A green pine tree-shaped marshmallow was temporarily added to the lineup in which you could send in a proof of purchase and then get a free sapling or seedling for a free Colorado blue spruce. In 1991, the star and balloon-shaped marshmallows were combined for a short time, making a red balloon featuring a six-pointed gold star. The star was later removed to make the red balloon and star marshmallows separate because, you know, they ran out of freaking ideas after the whale and the pine tree. Or maybe you're onto something pressed and the Care Bears jacked the rest of the shapes. Mm In 1994, sprinkles were temporarily added to the marshmallows, but quickly people realized that was just more diabetes. In 1999, the star-shaped marshmallows were modified with the addition of a yellow curve line for a short, limited time. Also because it probably cost a lot to merge two colors in one marshmallow. In the year of Y2K, a new sparkling rainbow was added to the mix for a short time as well. It was described by General Mills as a sparkling of multicolored sugar and white rainbow marbit. It was then replaced later by the current rainbow, probably because it also cut up the roofs of all the children's mouths. Mm. In 2010, <laughs> these Lucky Charms taste like mouth blood. In 2010, the swirled marshmallows were in Lucky Charms for a short time. 2013, a new rainbow actually appeared, added for LGBT Pride Month. But you know what? A lot of times, you know, during Pride Month, a lot of these corporations offer a lot of stuff that they've already been doing for notification and notori- for notoriety. But, you know, I got to maybe tip a hat here, my, my green or red hat, to Lucky Charms for making a new marshmallow Marbit instead of just relabeling the old one. Mm. In 2015, a diamond-shaped marshmallow was added in. And in 2017, a limited edition Cinnamon Vanilla Lucky Charm included one snowman, snowball, oh, included only snowman, snowballs, and snowflake-shaped marshmallows. I've never heard of that. 2018, they added a unicorn shape that became permanent. And In 2021, a limited edition variant of the serial was promoted called Loki Charms, modeled after the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Norse God supervillain Loki in a promotion of Disney Plus original television series. All supplies of the serial were sold out in seconds upon the release on June 9, 2021. And then because, you know what, who doesn't want just a bowl full of Marbits? For an advertising campaign back in May of 2017, General Mills announced they'd be promoting 10,000 boxes of cereal that contained only marshmallow pieces. In order to win one of the coveted boxes, consumers would need to purchase a specially marked box of regular Lucky Charms that had a code inside the panel. The code would be entered as a type of lottery... And winners would take one of the 10,000 novelty boxes produced as a prize. Anyway, there you go. A short history of the lucky charm for you, Preston, if nobody else.
0: Oh, thanks.
1: Okay, okay, okay. We know what everybody really wants. More weird-ass tales of true leprechaun encounters. So let's kick up the theme music here. And get on with it now the first story is reported from a guy who said his father told him about a sighting he had as a small boy my old man was very kind but stoic he didn't tell this story to many people and when i asked him about it he'd oftentimes hush me unless we were alone or with family because they knew as well anyway It happened in his hometown, a rural village that must have been a population of about a hundred people at the time of the sighting. As a child, he'd oftentimes walk home alone from the local national school to the family's house that was just outside of town. One day he was walking along just before his house when he saw a wee little fella sitting on the side of the road. He said the lad was tiny, maybe about two feet tall, and he was wearing a tweed vest And all in all, a hat. You know, just the type I'm talking about. He had red hair and he was sitting down just making leather shoes. Just like you hear leprechauns do. Anyway, my dad couldn't believe it. He blinked, looked around, but the lad was still just sitting there, just working away on his shoes. So my dad started walking up to him and just when he got about nine feet away, he couldn't get any closer. He said it was like he hit a force field or something that surrounded the leprechauns. Mind you, the wee fella hadn't looked up the whole time. So my dad sprinted home to his front door screaming for his sister all the way home so she'd come out and look. So he and my aunt, who was just a kid at the time too, ran back outside to see, at which point the leprechaun was gone and just disappeared like nothing. Another bizarre report comes from a witness who had just moved to Puerto Rico with his mother when he was just 17 years old. He claimed that one day he had gone to take a shower and suddenly heard the family dog frantically barking at something outside. It seemed the dog was quite worked up and upset over something, so the witness got out of the shower to take a better look outside the window he saw something far weirder than what he had perhaps been expecting. There in the yard, lurking behind a tree, was what the witness described as a diminutive man dressed in completely white, complete with a white cone-shaped hat and white pointed shoes. The odd little man apparently stared at the witness for a moment and then proceeded to vanish in thin air. A few days later, the strange creature appeared again, this time outside of the witness's window. The strange tiny man then smiled and disappeared again, until again a few days later when he reappeared. This time the witness claims to have tried to communicate with it, asking it its name, to which surprisingly the creature replied its name was Sebastian Polizar. Things had gotten so incredibly odd that the witness, who had at this point not mentioned it to anybody else, finally told his mother, who perhaps, not surprisingly, didn't believe him. The witness then called out the creature by his name and it apparently appeared out of nowhere right there in front of them to cause his mother to scream out of shock. This gnome-like creature then reportedly continued to make regular appearances around the house and in the yard until the family finally had enough and decided to move out.
0: Back in the early 1960's a witness named Jerry who claimed that he saw a gnome or troll at his home in Orange, New Jersey. Now, Jerry said that one day he had gone outside into the backyard and seen a small gnome like man with a long beard standing by the steps leading up to the porch. According to the witness the little man had funny clothes and a pointed hat and all. Years later, the strange creature would make another appearance at the home when Jerry's five-year-old nephew woke from a nap, crying, uh, and ran downstairs and claimed that he had been woken by a small man with a flowing white beard who had been staring at him while he slept, looking in his bedroom from the window outside. <laughs> Fuck that noise! Yeah, I'm just—I'm uh, gonna, you know, maybe dissect that story a little bit. If uh, <laughs> he's a, you know, he's a wee wee feller. Uh, How the fuck could he peer inside the window? Did he have a stool? Did he have a ladder? Was it a ground window? I mean, I think we need those details for validity.
1: I mean, it was the 60s, so it might be a case of a little bit of mushrooms or a little bit of wacky grass. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Another account from 2004 now supposedly took place in... Pima Tuning Park, Pennsylvania. The witness claims that he had been having a picnic there with his family when he went off to take a hike through the trees. As he walked along, he said he could hear the sounds of music coming from somewhere out in the forest. And he went about trying to follow the source of the music, which turned out to be in a clearing some distance ahead. In the clearing, he claims he came across what looked like a tiny little boy around seven years of age. But he had pointed ears and unnaturally dark green eyes. He was sitting on a tree stump, and in his hands he held a wooden recorder, which is what had been issuing forth the haunting music. When the witness approached the strange boy, it smiled and asked him if he'd like to try playing, with a voice described as sounding like a bell. The witness said he had to get back to his family, and the boy said that maybe he could play together some other time before getting up and walking off into the forest. The witness claims he went back to the spot several times over the years, but never saw the odd pointy-eared boy again. Although he claims that one time he left a piece of apple pie near the stump, and when he returned later, it was replaced by a curious smooth stone.
0: Several years back, a woman named Susan, who lived in a rural farmhouse, claimed to her friends and family that that her land seemed to be haunted. Susan would often talk about strange things that happened in the old house or weird goings-ons on the property. But one of the strangest stories was, was about how one evening, late at night, she had seen a leprechaun in the hallway of her bedroom. She said she heard res- a rustling noise out in the hallway and had gotten out of her bed to peek around the corner and what she saw next truly frightened her. In one corner of the hall I saw a man approximately two feet tall in dirty clothes with red hair and I froze with fear. The man noticed me and uh, it, I, I think I seen him out of the corner of my eye moving in the hallway. At all hours of the day, but then I wonder if I'd just been seeing things. Maybe it was the magic mushrooms I'd been taking. (laughs) From then on, she would see it out of the hallway or out of the corner of her eyes while she was upstairs. All in all, this would go on for a six-month period.
1: Now our penultimate tale, we've saved a truly strange story that appeared in various news headlines from June of 1964 from back in Liverpool, England, at a place called Jubilee Park. The area is a vast expanse of green parkland, peaceful meadows, and a golf course. And it was here that in that year, back in 1964, people began reporting that they had seen small diminutive people lurking about, especially in the area called Bowling Greens. The otherworldly tiny beings were described as being anywhere from just a few inches tall to several feet, and had the ethereal appearance of being bearded little men with bushy eyebrows and dressed in white hats, green coats, and some of the reports even said the men themselves had green skin. The creatures were mostly called leprechauns by witnesses and also the media that picked up the term. At the time, one witness would go on to say,
0: I was one of the school children that saw the leprechauns why I attended Bree Straight School. We all saw them, popping in and out of a window overlooking the schoolyard. There was about four of them, all tiny, dressed like a school book idea of a typical gnome, and they sat there swinging their legs on the window ledge, climbing in and out. What they were, I don't fucking know. Only I know what they look like. (laughs) I'd love to know the truth, I tell you that. I certainly remember leprechauns, and I actually saw a few of them later on Kensington Fields close to the library. But my parents and other adults tried to convince me that I had just been seeing things. This would have been uh, one afternoon early in July 1964, around 4.30 p.m. And I remember it as if it were yesterday. I was 10 at the time, and... On my way to play football with the mates, and I saw these little things. I'd say just a few inches tall, dressed in red, black, and standing in the grass looking at me. I'm sure one of them had a type of hat on, so I panicked and ran all the way home. My mom said there had been reports of leprechauns and little men on Jubilee Drive and Edge Lane the day before. That Same evening, crowds turned up all over Jubilee Drive, and I remember a girl with a jam jar that she uh, was going to go put those little fuckers in.
1: (laughs) When the reports of such things at this time became publicized, they generated a ton of interest, and crowds of people, especially children, began to gather around the Bowling Green in hope of seeing these little creatures. The crowds of curiosity seekers grew so large that eventually police had to go in and clear everybody out, but the reports would continue on. Now, oddly enough, in that same year, there was a woman living nearby who would claim that she had seen three little men wearing green who were all sitting on a wall and lobbing stones at her barking dog. And she saw another one she said was climbing a tree. Adding to the strangeness of it all, Also in that same area were several UFO sightings during that same time of year. Although what connection these may have had to the leprechaun flap is unknown. It's also not known why they were called leprechauns other than the appearance, but also there's a large population of descendants of Irish immigrants in the area. All in all, the leprechaun hunt started in June and by July 2nd, police wearing crash helmets, were set up along the park to protect people from each other. People were getting into fistfights over who'd be the first to catch one of these little green buggers. And the danger of injury was so great that a temporary medical shelter was set up in the park. The leprechaun hunt spread to St. Chad's Churchyard before it finally died down. Shortly after that, a man named Brian Jones, who was gardening was attacked by a mob of bratty children who tried to tackle him in his own yard and drag him from his garden. Because you see, oddly enough, whilst gardening, Brian would wear his yard clothes that coincidentally looked leprechaun-like. The children charged Mr. Jones trying to subdue him and he was only able to scare them away after he began yelling gibberish and throwing clumps of turf at them, to which soon after he called the police. (laughs)
0: And uh, then the little fuckers came back and burned him alive, and that's how we got uh, Freddy Krueger.
1: Now, the last story, uh, we have reported on a much earlier episode of the show. I think back when we were doing our uh, cryptid encounters about gnomes, but it's just such a fun story. I want to reiterate it again here. Truly one of the odder cases of gnome encounters or leprechauns occurred in 1979 at the quiet... Vandrant Walton Park in Nottingham, England, known for its expanse of tree-dotted green in the magnificent Walton Hall, which was used in the film The Dark Knight Rises. It was on this location that on October 29, 1979, a group of six schoolchildren by the names of Angie, her brother Glenn, her sister Julie, as well as Andrew and Rosie, who were brother and sister, and a boy named Patrick, all whose ages range from eight to ten years old were out wandering around in the late afternoon hours as the sun began to dim and the day began to come to a close. Now realizing that they soon had to get on their way home, they nevertheless had their curiosity piqued when they reportedly came down the fenced area of a murky, overgrown swampland near the lake that was closed to the public. And of course, being kids, the fence and the warning sign for people to keep out might as well have been an open invitation to come on in. The children decided to sneak in and poke around at this forbidden treasure. Upon entering the area, though, the children would claim they soon heard the chime of a bell, and after which they came across a group of a dozen tiny little men, about half their own height, who had deeply wrinkled faces, and sported lush white beards with red tips. On their heads were strange little pointed caps, described as looking sort of like nightcaps, with little bobbles on the end, and their clothing was composed of yellow and green tights and blue shirts. Strangest of all, though, is the children claimed the curious little men drove around in miniature bubble-like cars that had no steering wheels, and they had bells instead of horns, which produced no engine sounds at all, yet sped around at high speeds They could easily jump over and evade obstacles. According to the children, there were about 30 of these unusual mini vehicles with two of the gnomes riding inside of each. They were laughing joyously and gleefully, whizzing around, even on occasion playfully chasing or making passes at the startled children. One of the children go on to describe them we heard this little tinkle bell we started running and these little men came out of nowhere there had to have been about 60 of them in 30 cars they were like bubbles they were half my size and they looked really old they had greenish faces with crinkles in them and long white beards with a little bit of red hair at the end they were laughing in a funny way and driving over the swamps near the lake they were fright- We were so frightened and ran to the gate, I don't think they liked the lights outside because they never followed us out into the street. The children claimed that they had spent around 15 minutes watching these bizarre figures cavort and drive around the swamp before they finally left for home with the coming of the night. These bizarre entities were described as being quite cheerful, playful, and not threatening or aggressive in the slightest way, even though occasionally they would dive-bomb the children in their tiny little bubble cars. While they told the adults that what they had seen, nobody would believe them, and yet adamantly they insisted that it had all been real. The school headmaster would go on extensively questioning the kids on what they had really seen and came to the conclusion that they had all believed they were telling the truth. He would later say on a recording he had made of the conversations, I think the tape reveals the wide measure of corroboration between the children, as well as the fluency in which they were able to describe the events. I remain skeptical as the explanation of what they saw, but I'm also convinced that the children were describing a real occurrence. Despite wide-ranging skepticism, the tale of the Walton Fairies made headlines in the news at the time, and oddly, more sightings came forward with their sightings of the same thing in the area. One such sighting has been written in the annals of Janet Board's book, Fairies, Real Encounters with Little People. She writes, Over six years before the Walton Fairies were reported in the media, I had corresponded with Marina Fry of Cornwall, wrote to me giving details of her own fairy sighting when she was nearly four years old back around 1940 one night she and her older sisters all sleeping in a bedroom woke up to hear a strange buzzing noise one of the sisters said it sounded like music and bells looking out in the window they saw a little man in a tiny car driving around in circles They say he was about 18 inches tall and had a white beard and a droopy pointed hat. And after a while, he just simply disappeared. What exactly did those kids see that day in the park? We may never know. But I, for one, hope that one night when I'm looking out my kitchen window, I see about 30 or 60 little guys driving around bubble cars, too, because I will grab a butterfly net, go out there and catch one, and Preston I will call you first.
0: Oh shit, I was muted when I said that. Anyways, yeah, fuck yeah, man. I'll come fucking running over there and be like, come on, little little Irish brethren. Let's have a drink. Let's let's get a pinto plane, little motherfuckers. Let me see if I can stand on top of your bubble car. yeah, roll yeah, a skate around.
1: What's to say we don't, you know, duct tape two or three bubble cars to each foot and just go on our merry way. Yeah. Well, folks, we hope you all have a very safe and fun St. Patty's Day. Pour one out for us. And until next time, please, if you're on social media, whoa, check whoa, us whoa. out. Whoa, Well, you got, you got something? You got something?
0: You, you, you forgot. Uh, we talked about it uh, before uh, we hit on the episode about um, my relation to an actual Irish folktale.
1: Oh, well, shit on me. I am so sorry, buddy. Why don't you regale that real quick?
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's not every day that uh, you think about, uh, you know, legends of, you know, whether it's like uh, Scottish legends or Irish legends or, you know, English legends that you um, are actually related to that part of history. And a couple of years ago, I, I did that 23 me, and... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, i have a weird family connection to a irish you know folktale and mm-hmm. um we're going to talk about Nall, the king of the nine hostages and um he is said to be one of the most bravest and greatest kings of all ireland and you might ask yourself why the fuck is he called king of the nine hostages Well, that's because Null didn't like people, and he was said to have had nine famous hostages throughout his reign of Ireland. One of them being known as the Man Sucat, or St. Patrick himself, because fuck that guy, he didn't do shit. Um, (laughs) So apparently my ancestor didn't like him either, and I kept him as a hostage. (laughs) Right. Now the High King supposedly ruled between 368 and 395, and uh, you know historians have been arguing back and forth. And then uh, because of uh, the modern day science of genetics, uh, when people started sending in their DNA, they came across what they called the O'Neil genealogies. And uh, they were able to date his reign from 445 to 453. Now, Neil is not uh, my great 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 grandfather, but in fact, my great um, <laughs> great 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 uncle. Great 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 granddaddy O'Neil uh, had five kids. And uh, one of my great-grandparents is one of those uh, other four. Uh, And uh, legend has it that they're trying to decide who was going to be king of all of Ireland. And the mother, the first wife, so great-granddaddy had two wives. And the the, the first one's like, well, you know, what we should do is uh, lock all these bastards up inside this smithy. And set the thing on fire, and then if they can make it out alive, and uh, whatever they bring out, that's gonna tell us who's gonna be the the best king. So one kid brought out a rack of weapons, and they're like, No, nah, fuck that guy." And uh, <laughs> one kid brought out a hammer, and they're like, "Well, what the fuck are you gonna do with a fucking hammer?" That, uh, no, not that guy. Um, another kid brought out uh, logs, and they're like, "What the what the fuck are you gonna do with a fucking bundle of logs, you fucking idiot." <laughs> and uh, Uncle Neil brought out the actual anvil, and they're like, "Well, he's he's a smart cookie. I like where he was going." But uh, <laughs> the king at the time said, "No, fuck that. They're all fucking idiots." And so, what are we gonna do? Well, the village next door had a, a an old hag, a witch, and they they said, "All right, here's the thing. This 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 witch." She fucking eats everybody, and nobody makes it out of her hut alive. So you all got to go, and you got to appease her. And if you appease her, you'll bring back something. And uh, based on what you bring back, uh, that'll let us know. So the the first two boys go up, and the the old hag's like, "Oh, plant one on me, guys. I want a kiss." <laughs> and they're like, "Dude, you're you're old fucking hag. You got you got shit hanging out of your teeth. You got boogers hanging out of your nose. Uh, fuck you." And then uh, they left, and then they came back with nothing. So uh, the great granddaddy said, "Nope, you ain't fucking being king. Get the fuck out of here." And uh, the, uh, one of the, one of the other boys, um, decided, all right, I'm game. And went and gave her a little peakish peck on the cheek, a little real quick. And, uh, mm-hmm. they're like, nah, you know, your ball should have dropped a little bit. Well, uncle Neil <laughs> decided to get in there and, uh, slip her the French tongue And, uh, then she turned into a beautiful lady, uh, one of the most beautiful ladies of Ireland. And they're like, that's our fucking King, that guy right there. And, uh, he went on to, uh, reign, you know, like 60, 70 years or whatever, and just fucking killed half the family. Like he, he wanted like a game of Thrones solid rule. Like nobody could challenge the, the, you know, the Kingship there. And uh, it became almost like uh, England's version of uh, King Arthur. Nobody thought it was actually real until we started studying genealogy. And one of the Haplo groups kept popping up. and it's so popular among Irish men. Um, it led them to believe that in fact, yes, there was an actual Neil, the nine hostages. And this guy fucked half of Ireland had so much progeny running around, um, that, uh, he's kind of like Genghis Khan. Like the only reason why we know Genghis Khan is real was, uh, they started doing DNA studies and realized like half of fucking Mongolia has the, the same genetic marker. And, uh, so uh yeah, one of my one of my great grandpaps uh basically got axed off uh and uh, we share a genetic lineage to uh Neil the Nine Hostages, one of the greatest Irish kings out there. Well, all be damn. Yeah. And if anybody from Ireland is listening and uh you're from Cork County, uh what's up, cuz? <laughs> it's your boy, Pixelated <laughs> Paranormal. <laughs>
1: Well, what a wonderful cherry to put on top of this lucky charm Sunday, huh? Yeah. I am so sorry I almost completely steamrolled your your final story.
0: And I would like to think that uh you, you know, even though it's it's sad that you know out of the five brothers, maybe my great great grandfather was the guy that either brought out the uh you know, the rack of armor. Or brought out the mm-hmm. actual, like, hammer. I don't want to think that mine was the idiot that brought out firewood. But then on top of that, <laughs> like, you know, mine was probably one of the ones that's like, fuck, I ain't kissing that. And then just turned around and walked off, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Could have been. Yeah. Could have easily been. Wow. And his name was uh, what? The, the Nine host King of the Nine Hostages? Nile of the Nine Hostages. Okay, Nile of the Nine Hostages. Well, folks, that concludes our episode for St. Patty's Day 2022. Please, if you're on the social medias, now can I say it, Preston?
0: Yeah, now you can say it.
1: If you're on the social medias, please follow us on the old Instagram at Paranormal. If you're on Facebook, check us out, The Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Uh, we have a Twitter, but I have not updated that bad boy in, uh, unfortunately, a very long time. So there's that. and nobody ever pays um,
0: attention to Twitter.
1: That's fine. <laughs> that, that's very true. That's very true. Presto, talk about this old YouTube here a little bit, huh?
0: Oh, yeah. We got a we got a YouTube channel, and I, I, I have basically all the current episodes on there, except for the Deaf Drivers and then this one. So, But later this week, all of the current ones will be on there. And currently, we have 174 subscribers. So we've actually gone up four since the last time we brought it up. Like, holy shit, 129 videos. One video has <laughs> over 2,000 views. Um, a couple of the other ones are getting really close, like there's the Bigfoot one on there that it's like 900. So, you know, do yourself a favor. Go over, like, subscribe, share, because not everybody uses a podcast app. Not everybody uses iTunes. So, you know, <laughs> you know once, it's okay to listen to a podcast on YouTube. Um, that's why I created the channel. So, you know, get be spooky, stay spooky, go over to YouTube, like, subscribe, share.
1: Hell yeah. And we've got some really great comments here recently on the old YouTube. Oh, shit. Secret. Yeah, oh, yeah, buddy. Secret Grasp says, I love it. You guys cover so many cryptids and other paranormal topics that I've never heard anywhere else before. Danny Sisley or Sisley says, I love watching all your amazing videos. This channel needs promos. Well, I don't disagree with that at all. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate the kind words. If you're on iTunes, also, please, speaking of comments, leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to read it on air. That would be splendid, please. And I think uh, parting thoughts from me, it's coming up on our six-year anniversary. It's time for y'all to start shaking that old paranormal cherry tree Think of some spooky stuff that happened to you because we're going to be calling for your personal paranormal stories because you know our anniversary means listener story episodes. And usually, y'all really deliver. and we got to crank those things out into two episodes. So please, start getting that together. Uh, we'll be asking for those soon. You can send those over to our email, paranormal at gmail.com. We have a voicemail. You guys can leave us a voicemail. If you like, give me just a second here. I'll get that brought up. Bada bop, bada boop. That voicemail number should be 913-662-3144. That is our Google voice number. Preston, what do you got for us, buddy?
0: Look, you never know in life when you're going to have to test your manhood and have to go, you know, (laughs) lay, lay lips to a hag. And you want to look your best hell you want to smell your best um, and uh, you want to step up to that batter box uh, with the best looking beard that you you could have and the only way to do that and I'm here to tell you this is this is the truth big Dobbs, promo code pxLPARA that gets you 20% off your order so then you can just you know lush up that that man fur with bay rum dundee cedar fresh citrus classic uh, sweet tobacco mint I don't know that I say mint if I didn't say mint I'm saying mint now you're, <laughs> you're gonna look good you're gonna smell good you're gonna you're, you're gonna look like a man you're gonna feel like a man and you're gonna get the job done and you're gonna lock lips on that old hag and you too will become the greatest king of Ireland or you're just gonna look like a homeless leprechaun I I mean you got to make a decision which which side of the fence do you want to be? Go to Dobbs, use the promo code, get yourself some, you know, bomb, oil, combs, soap. I mean, there's so much crap over there that I can't even keep my mind straight. So do yourself a favor. Go to Dobbs, get it all, use the promo code, you'll thank me.
1: There you go. A riveting promo from Preston. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang over at CD Trade Post at Pawnee and Seneca. On behalf of Stephen, I'd like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it.
0: And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical. The strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and The Strain.